Welcome to Chaos Theory Tales Askew. This is the third and last installment of the story Passage by A. A. Roberts. At first blush, the case the twins assigned me to didn't seem like it was going to be all that different than any of the others they usually gave me. There was a psycho loose in Scottsdale, Arizona that had a taste for beautiful women and torture. The papers had dubbed him the Herald because the victims were all found with the words, He is coming, carved into their bodies. Knowing my penchant for serial killers, the twins felt I was the most appropriate shadow walker for the job. They also informed me that I had been requested by some beautiful, mysterious woman at one of our sister organizations to take this case. Evidently, she had powers. A premonition inspired her to call us and suggest that I had special talents that would be required. I pressed them on who this mystery woman was, but all I got was infuriating, knowing smiles. I figured they were just bullshitting me as usual. They had made it a habit of busting my ass over the years. They warned me before I got on my flight to Dulles in D.C. that there was a disturbance in the psychic rhythm of the world. Evidently, they were spending their waking hours trying to track down this disturbance, and I eventually came to find out that they had had no sleeping hours because of said disturbance. Whatever it was was attacking their dream time with horrific nightmares. They looked like shit. I guess every one of the Shadow Walkers was busy with one terror or another. Usually we had at least one partner to back us up, but we were short-staffed due to several recent battles gone bad, and I was on my own. My flight to Scottsdale was uneventful, and as I drove my rental car to the resort where I was booked for a stay, I was struck by the normality around me, if they only knew. Scottsdale was well lit at night, which made patrolling the streets in my rental car a little easier. Batman and a Taurus. How cool is that? The police were out in force, but... The few times they did spot me, they had me pegged as a tourist and left me alone. I'd mapped out the location of each of the six murders, and it was pretty obvious to me that this sick son of a bitch was tracing out a pentagram. If that were the case, he was only halfway there. I was only there three days when I had a nightmare, too. Something whispered to me out of the desert. It spun fine words like a spider spins silk. I rose against the restraints of my slumber, which dragged on me like leaden weights, and I strolled out of my ground-floor apartment to face the desert night. The stars were like red drops of blood against an ink-black sky. A long, low hiss issued out from the desert to accompany words in a tongue that I had heard many years before. It was the language Alex Jennings had spoken before he invoked the beast. I stumbled into the desert dressed only in my pair of boxer shorts to meet that silky voice. My feet bled from the thorns of the cacti that populated the hard scrabble ground, but I didn't notice. Even though I was entranced, fear danced along the length of my spine and caused the hairs there to stand on end. I marched on into the cool night air until I came upon two disembodied eyes that floated just above the desert floor. They squinted with mirth just as twelve inches of steel slashed across my bare stomach, eviscerating me. I bounced out of bed with a forty-four automatic in each hand. I had taken to sleeping with them long ago, 
The Shadow Walkers have taught me that guns can be your friend. They don't always kill the kinds of enemies we go up against, but they usually slow them down. I wiped the fear-induced sweat off my forehead and threw the weapons onto the bed. I probably should have grabbed the sword first, but hell, I was asleep. I'm lucky I didn't come up with a pillow in each hand. I looked down at the weapons on my bed and sighed. Talk about your strange bedfellows. I was in a city filled with beautiful women, and here I was sleeping with a sword and two Israeli-made firearms. I really needed a vacation. The next morning I got a call from Dexter Harriman. Dex and I often partnered up in the field. We got along especially well since neither of us had any powers. Dex, however, was undoubtedly one of the best shots in the world. His mastery of the firearm bordered on a power, and he had taught me how to love the gun. Under his tutelage, I had become a pretty fine shot myself. I have some bad news, Adam. I sighed. I hadn't gotten much sleep, and bad news wasn't exactly what I had in mind for breakfast. What's happened now? We found the twins in a coma. They were piled on top of each other, bleeding from the nose and ears. We've been unable to pull them out. I was stunned to silence. Yeah, we traded barbs like stamps and banged heads on more than one occasion, but the twins were still my friends. I'd have given my life up for those two clowns in a heartbeat, and hear that they were... Adam, you still there? Yes, Dex, sorry, I was just a little... We all are. There's something you should know. What's that? When Barb found them, they were semi-conscious before going into a full-blown coma. Before Edgar totally faded, he told her to tell you that there's another. To say I was perplexed was an understatement. What the hell is that supposed to mean? Was he quoting Star Wars, or was there more? That's all she had. Sorry, bud. I have got to go. Keep your head up and one down the tube. My gut tells me there's going to be some serious shit on the horizon. Yeah, will do. You watch your ass, too. I felt pretty useless being a couple of thousand miles away from the twins. Not that there was much I could do, but maybe my presence could have added something. I figured the quicker I apprehended, terminated, whatever, the herald, the sooner I could get back to the twins. I knew he was going to strike again tonight. It was the first day of the full moon. The crazies just loved the full moon. Of course, then again, so did I, since it meant we were all working against the same schedule. The question was, where would he strike? I was sure he was mapping out a pentagram. You need ten points to plot out the symbol, and so far he had marked each point of the star in its center base point. If he was following any kind of order, his next pick would probably be one of the lower intersections. Since the police forensics team had made him a righty, I decided to go with the bottom right point. I pushed a pin into the map I'd taped on the bedroom wall. It gave me a location that was about one block big. It was a lot of area to cover, but not unreasonable. I had an edge in that the twins had taught me how to use my native instincts to track down the bad guys. They called it proto-psychic ability and claimed that all normal humans had it. I called it the willies, and it turned out to be a great locator. The only drawback was it also made you want to pee in your pants the entire time you were experiencing it. I drove to the outskirts of Scottsdale and watched the sun sink behind the mountains. Red fire burned on the horizon, illuminating the hills in silhouette. Seems to me there should have been a portentous squall or something, but it was quiet. The calm before the storm. I had my arsenal in the truck of the Taurus, and I was resolved not to fool around with this guy. Boom, boom. Out go the lights. About an hour after dusk, I headed out to the suburb where I knew the killer would be stalking his prey. I drove around for a couple of hours and was getting nothing. I began to doubt my pentagram theory when the willies went off like an army of fire ants down my spine. 
I looked in my rearview mirror and watched a flame-haired redhead walk in the other direction. She was a goth. Black leather attire bordering on being fetish wear wrapped her entire body. She looked back at me and smiled as though she knew I was watching. I slammed on the brakes and got out of the car. She continued to walk away from me, seemingly uncaring about what I did. She was definitely the source of my willies, but I wasn't sure if it was because she was a player or just scary looking. The whole goth thing always did creep me out. I did a slow turn back to my car, and for the first time I noticed a small house I was parked in front of. It was your typical middle-class Scottsdale ranch with white sand and manicured cacti for a lawn. It was painted white with a classic red ceramic rooftop. Its major difference from that of its neighbors was that the front door was wide open. I strolled up the gravel path and drew one of my 44s. Every crunchy step brought me closer to what I knew was going to be a nightmare. I only had to put one foot in the doorway before I found blood. It was a red-soaked shoe print. A big, blocky sole with a spiked heel print. Exactly what goth girl was wearing. I took a few steps inside, which led directly to the living room. Now the dying room. They were a young couple in their early 30s. She tied them together on two fold-up chairs with bare copper wire and duct tape. I stopped crying for the victims long ago, but that didn't mean my heart didn't get ripped out every time I stumbled onto a scene like this. They were just two regular people going about their lives, and this bitch had turned them into a ritual offering to some foul terror. Thank God there were no children in the house. I spun and sprinted out of the room back to my tourists. By the time I reached the curb, goth girl was speeding by. There are those moments in your life where time stops. Speed is reduced to a pace where observation becomes possible and you're dumbfounded by the course of events that are spinning out of control. This wasn't one of those times. That bitch roared by in a late model Z28 like a bat out of hell and was probably headed straight back to that pit. I jumped in my tourist and gave chase. I could tell right off the bat as we headed deep into the desert south of Scottsdale that she wanted me to follow her. She knew her vehicle was a whole hell of a lot faster than mine was, but she kept to a pace where she was always in sight. Fine. I'd play her game. We raced into the countryside for about an hour and a half until she cut over onto a dirt side road. We followed this for about ten minutes until we came upon some sort of compound of single-story cement buildings. My willies powered up to Willie's Squared as I recognized this place. Morlock's Prison. I slammed on the brakes and fishtailed to a stop behind the now-empty Z-28. Something in the back of my brain was screaming this truly was the end of the road. I have no powers. Morlock had a shitload, and my gut was telling me Gothbitch was no slouch either. I sighed and went to the truck of my Taurus. I strapped on my combat vest and short-length silver-plated katana. I holstered my 44 Desert Eagle Auto Mags and donned other associated combat gear. The 12-gauge I carried at the ready. I have no powers, but I do know how to kick ass. I slammed the trunk closed and the hairs on the back of my neck started doing somersaults. Just out of the range of my vision, I could hear the sound of slowly shuffling feet. The kind of shuffling meant for the dead, not dancing. I made for the front entrance of the main building. Its steel doors were blasted out and lying on the ground. The few mercury lights that still burned played out on the source of the shuffling. Half a dozen of the near-dead stumbled out of the portal. I froze. All around me, the near-dead emerged out of the gloom, carrying sticks, scissors, razors, crowbars, or whatever else they could use to mess me up. They were the dregs of humanity, the homeless, junkies, petty thieves, and sundry other castaways of modern society. Not one of them retained their humanity, for it had been stripped for them by Morlock's profound evil. 
This was evident in their wide, unblinking eyes, which burned with the hate of the demon possessed. I know, I've killed a few in my day. Goth bitch stepped out of the prison behind the phalanx of zombies and laughed at me. What's the matter, Adam? Don't you like your friends? They began to moan as they shuffled forward in anticipation of the night's meal. Me. Not at all, sweetheart. I could use a little warm-up before I go in there and chop up you and Morlock. She started to laugh until I blasted the heads off of seven of her zombie friends. Their headless corpses fell to the ground, slowing up to near dead behind them. I whipped out the forty-fours and placed a neat hole in the forehead of sixteen of Gothbitch's friends. Their brains exited out of the back of their head. It's been my experience over the years that no matter what evil throws at you, if you take out the brains or take off the head, your assailant usually goes down. Gothbitch frowned. I'd taken out her entire first line of attack, and this had obviously pissed her off. She gesticulated out with both hands, and it felt like my chest was slammed by a Mack truck. I flew 20 feet back onto the hood of my car and crushed the windshield as I slammed into it. My head spiderwebbed the glass behind me, and I almost went out. I saw a shadow flit by, and I heard Gothbitch scream something vulgar. There were sounds of violence, but I couldn't lift my head enough to see what was going on. Eventually, I slid off the hood of the Taurus onto my hands and knees. The force of her blow had sent my arms flying at God knows where. I reached back and drew my blade to prepare for the worst kind of hand-to-hand combat. I was surprised the zombie kid weren't on me already, and when I rose to my knees, I discovered why they weren't. Something had sliced up every one of the remaining near-dead. Body parts littered the ground. Nothing moved. Goth bitch was gone. What had done this? Another one of Morlock's pets gone crazy? As if to answer me, the cry of some man-beast screamed like a rabid cougar from somewhere in the prison. Man-beast. Ducky. I'm kneeling here among the corpses, wasting minutes. I've caught my breath, and now it's time to finish what was started all those long years ago. I rise and survey the carnage one last time. I make my way to the main entrance that's been ripped open, a gaping wound into the bare heart of evil. I step through. All of my senses feel as if they are on overload. Fluorescent lights flicker overhead, their power source disrupted by far greater energies. I see a black, bug-like helmet laced with electronics lying near the door. The remains of some poor bastard's head are still in that helmet. Blood-inked graffiti paints the walls in the script of the evil dead. Long-forgotten passages from the Necronomicon decorate the walls around me. I stroll inside with my blade at the ready. My footsteps echo off the empty corridor walls. Each step plays counterpoint to the beating of my heart. From somewhere nearby, I hear the scream of the man-beast, and I raise my sword a little higher. I stop at the intersection to another corridor. The rest of the prison guard is strewn about, in pieces. I slice up and out as it comes out of the shadows and slams into me. It must be over six and a half feet tall and 250 pounds. We go over backwards as it tries to rake me with its claws. I roll over backwards with the beastie and come up on its stomach. It arches forward, and in one swing I take its claws and head off. I stand. It twitches. First blood is mine. I turn continue to where I know Morlock lives. He can feel me coming. I can feel him all about me. It's like smog for the soul. His spiritual pollution invades every pore of my skin, and I know I'll be bathing for a week, if I survive. I turn another corridor with sword at the ready. I am perplexed. The hall before me is strewn with the dead, 
and it's obviously Morlock's creatures that lie prone and in pieces. This isn't making any sense. Where's goth bitch? Why isn't Morlock sending his best and brightest after me? I shrug and continue. I make my way to Morlock's lair without issue. I wonder why he never left this place. Had he been here so long that he considered this home? Had he planned for this to be the center of his corruption as he sent his evil out in the world? There I go again. Why ask why? I wipe the sweat from my forehead and continue on. I rounded the intersection to where I knew Morlock would be waiting and then I froze. The light was crazy. The overhead fluorescent lights were barely functioning and were acting more like strobe lights. A stream of amorphous blue light poured out of the room where Morlock used to be in prison. The vault door that had once kept and contained was wide open and hanging on one hinge. It was from behind the three-foot-thick glass in the center of Morlock's chair where all the light was coming from. I couldn't see the monster in all of that glare. In front of me, something that appeared to be a woman and dressed in a white tunic, was hunched over the prone form of goth bitch. Whoever it was had her back to me. I could only see goth bitch's outstretched hand. It twitched once and was still. Blood pooled at the feet of the woman dressed in white. She stood and for the first time I saw the two foot long silver blades in each hand. When she turned I could see the front of her white tunic was covered in blood. I guess I had it wrong. It must have been a woman beast. Because the light was so bad I couldn't make out the face behind the shoulder length black hair. Her eyes burned and otherworldly blue. Morlock screamed in rage from behind her, but to my surprise, there was no attack. I raised my sword and slide-stepped forward, ready to engage Morlock's pet. It was my guess that goth bitch wasn't making her performance objectives, and Morlock replaced her with the lady in white. I wasn't sure what his game was, but whoever this new pet was had to be the baddest monster in the house. This was evidenced by all the monster bits that were strewn about Morlock's little shop of horrors. I moved closer, but she only watched. I steeled myself for the attack... But before I could move, she ripped the heart out of my chest. Hello, Adam. She took a step forward into the light, and a smile that I once lived for lacerated my soul. Angelique looked as beautiful as the day she had died. I stumbled backwards, unable to speak. Confusion clouded me and left me numb to action. I was the proverbial lamb ripe for slaughter. I managed to form the word, How? I can never say enough words to apologize, Adam. I never meant to hurt you. What are you talking about? What are you? She looked a little hurt by my last query. Once long ago, you asked me a question which I did answer. Now I will. Seraphim. My confusion was evident, but then the light of realization began to beat back the confusion. You're an angel? Now, when we met, I was as human as you. An agent of the light had approached me many years earlier. They recruited me to join them. My two weeks with you were to be my last on earth. They allowed me this time to live my humanity to the fullest. They allowed me the ultimate love so that I would always know what I fought for. You have been my inspiration all these years, Adam. That's why I never saw your body. I was taken up into the ranks of the Seraphim and trained to be a guardian angel. Our paths have crossed before, Adam, but I've always kept the shadows. You told the twins to assign me to this mission. She smiled and took a step forward. I wanted to see you one last time. I was shaking, I was so upset. The source of all my despair was a lie, and essentially I had been used. You tore my heart out. You took the express train to heaven and left me to rot here on earth. Do you know what I've been through? That thing came from hell. I've been living in hell. 
The profundity of her sadness was evident in her fading smile. I know, Adam. I never meant to hurt you like that. In doing so, I hurt myself just as badly. Do you know how hard it has been to see you from the shadows and not be able to embrace you? My love for you was real, as real and as strong as yours. You have to believe this. Morlock screamed and I jumped. Angelique's smile was replaced by a frown. She turned and gestured to the lair of the beast. Lightning sprang from her fingertips and snapped into the room. Morlock screamed again. Silencio, verme! She said with venom. Angelique turned back to me. It is contained for the moment. It is the reason I was recruited. Morlock's coming was foretold and the Pantheon of Light needed someone to contain him and eventually send him back to hell. Why you? Why did they have to take you? She shrugged. It's like anything else, Adam. Their resources are not infinite. They suffer losses, too. Morlock was originally human, and they needed to create an opposite force from a human source. My family's history ordained me to be the prime candidate. I went limp, barely able to stand. You should have told me. She smiled again. Would you believe me? Of course she was right. At the time, I would have thought she was insane. It wouldn't have mattered to me, since I would have loved her even if she was a raving lunatic. I still loved her. So you became an angel. How come tall, dark, and crusty is still crackling in the back room? She frowned with the memories of battles past. Almost eight years ago, I helped the twins capture this vile thing. My training was not complete and my powers weak, but Morlock was on the move and we had no choice but to act. I was badly hurt and drained. It's taken me this long to fully recover. I silently rolled her words over in my head. This entire conversation was leading to a conclusion I knew I wasn't going to like. You're leaving for good, aren't you? You finally come back to me and you are leaving for good. She moved closer and took my hands in hers. I dropped the sword at the warmth of her touch. Any semblance of machismo left me and I just wanted to pull her to me and cry on her shoulder. But I held fast. I finally have the powers to send this creature back to the hell from whence he came. Once this is done, I must go into the light. I am needed elsewhere. The sadness was evident in her words and expression. I could tell she didn't want to leave, but I knew she would. How am I going to survive having seen you again, Angelique? I sewed up the wound long ago, but you've reopened it. My heart is bleeding, and when it's done, there's not going to be anything left. She pulled me closer until I could feel her breath on my lips. I am an angel, Adam. Healing is one of our talents. She kissed me, and for an eternity I disappeared. Time stopped, and our embrace was the only thing that existed in the universe. She flowed into me like silk through a steel ring. Where once was two, there was only one, and for the first time in my life, I felt one true moment of perfection. When we parted, my pain was gone. I didn't think that was possible. I didn't think that I could exist a moment without her. But she had filled me with a strength that came from the very foundation of heaven. We rested our foreheads on each other and soaked in our mutual warmth for a moment. For the first time that night, I mirrored her smile. Eventually we parted and she took a step back. Now you know the truth of things, Adam. I will keep you in my heart always. Time is forever. We will be together again, my brave Shadow Walker. I am sure of it. She gave me one last smile and then turned to Morlock. He screamed in rage, knowing that he was about to be sent back to the void. Angelique broke into a run and slammed through the barrier that contained Morlock like it was sugar glass. There were more screams and then a blinding flash of light and then silence.
I could not help but be a little sad. She was right. Now that I did know the truth, our separation felt more temporary than fatalistic. In the grand scheme of things, simply knowing that she was out there sustained me. I picked up my sword and left. I returned to D.C. the next day, and as I expected, the twins had come out of their coma. Morlock had been the source of this disturbance. We had a lot to talk about. They filled me in on everything they knew about Angelique and about those years when she worked from the shadows. All that time, and I had a true guardian angel, and I didn't even know it. When Angelique kissed me that last time, she slipped something inside of me. She didn't just heal me. I felt something coarse from her spirit into mine to imbue me with new energy. It was her parting gift to me, and the most precious gift any man could ask for. I have a new power, just one. I think its source is called love. And that is the third and final installment of Passage by A. Roberts. If you would like to read more great stories, short stories by a number of different authors, please stop by to Chaos Theory Tales of Skew, which can be found at www.genspace.com. That's spelled G-E-N-S-P-A-C-E dot com. Have a wonderful day.